as uh, we have been journeying with the, the uh, children of Israel. And uh, this is yet another part of their continuing saga as they return home. Uh, so we want to hear from Pastor Curtis on that. Do you have a dream house? Are you living in your dream house? When I was uh, a boy, it was my dream to design a house. It was my dream to be an architect, and uh, that dream didn't turn out. Um, when I became a pastor, um, I thought, you know, it'd be really cool. It'd be, you know, I could help an architect to design an own church building. Um, so far, that hasn't worked out. But God has given me another dream. In fact, God has given me a much bigger dream. God has given me a dream that I believe that he wants to be your dream. It's bigger than whatever is your dream for your dream house. It's bigger than whatever your dream is for your life. You all of us have dreams of what we want to be or what we want to do or what we hope to accomplish or dreams for our children. It's bigger than all of that. It's bigger than the dream that we have for Harvest to have its own church building. It's bigger than the dream that every church on earth might have to have their own church building. It's bigger than any dream that any church on earth could even have right now. What is this dream? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us your dream. Lord, give us a dream that's bigger than this world, that changes this world. Give us a dream, Lord, that's bigger than our life, that changes our life. Give us a dream, Lord, that's bigger than this church. Give us, Lord, your dreams. And help us to see, Lord, that your dreams always come true. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is this dream that God has for us? We live in a world where, especially here in the United States, where it's uh, quite well publicized that there is the American dream, the American dream. So I looked up in the dictionary, American dream, and this is what we find. A life of personal happiness and material comfort as traditionally sought by individuals in the United States. Okay? That's in your dictionary. That is the American dream. And I don't think it's the wrong definition. I think that indeed is what we're taught. That indeed is what our culture tells us. That's what we see and hear every day. Um, the dictionary goes on, in case you didn't really know what that meant, to give an example. Okay? So... So it gives you this example, and in the dictionary it says, example, with the acquisition of a big house in the suburbs, they felt as though the American dream had indeed become a reality for them. All right, so here we are in the suburbs of Orange County or of Los Angeles, and we may or may not have our dream house yet, uh, but we can certainly pursue it, all right? And that is indeed the example of what people might say is the dream house. And what is the American dream and acquisition? But what's God's dream? You know, God has a dream house too. God has a dream house. 
And this is the dream that God wants for you and for me to have that's bigger than any dream that we could ever have in this world. And that is that God has a dream house and he wants you and me to live in it. God has a dream house and he wants us to have that to be our greatest passion, our greatest compassion, our greatest concern and our greatest desire. That we would want to live in God's house. And we sing about it at times in the Psalms when David says, I long for your house, O Lord. I long for your house. And God wants us to have this dream. And we have a desire in our hearts in this world for a dream house on earth. That is a seed. That's not something to condemn. That's a seed. That's an idea. That's the beginning of a dream that we can understand then how God feels about us. In the same way that we feel and we desire an earthly home, a great dream house, God wants us to know that he wants us to have a desire for that eternal house, that dream house in heaven, that house that's bigger than all houses. And he wants us not to have a lifestyle that fulfills the American dream, but he wants us to have a lifestyle that fulfills his dream. And so we're going to talk about that today. And that's what we find in this chapter of the story. That's what we find in understanding about why God is bringing his people home. They've been in exile in Babylon and in Persia. They've been there for about 70 years. And God does something extraordinary. He works in the heart of a pagan king, King Cyrus. And he gives this king favor towards Israel. And this king understands that all these people have been taken away from their home seven years earlier. A lot of their family members have died, but now this new generation has arisen. And God puts in this unbelieving king a desire to help these people. He cares about them. And so he tells them, go back to Jerusalem. It's a little bit of a ways, about 900 miles, but you'll make it. All right. Go back home, and this is what you are to do. In fact, I believe God has told me that you are supposed to build a temple. So go back home and build a temple. This is what God wants you to do. The people can't believe it. They're suddenly free. They're allowed to go back to their home. Yeah, it's a 900-mile trek, but they get to go home. And with the instructions to build a temple. And so we are going to learn from them this lifestyle that God would have us to have of building a temple for him and of living a temple lifestyle. And the first thing is that every day, every day, because whenever you have a habit, you think about it, you have the American dream, you live for it every day. So we're going to live for this temple dream every day. And we're going to do it by building daily on the foundation that says God first. We're going to build on the foundation that says God first. I don't know if you saw it in the news last week, um, but they dug this big hole in downtown L.A. It's the biggest hole they ever dug in downtown L.A. because it's going to house the biggest building that they've ever built in downtown L.A. In fact, it's going to be the biggest building west of the Mississippi. It's going to be called the Wilshire Grand Center. It's going to be 73 stories tall. And it's going to be 1,100 feet. And um, it's sort of hard to see there, but if you could see it, it's a really beautiful building, right? It's going to be gorgeous. It's going to stand out. It's going to be the tallest building in downtown. But to be able to start building it, last week, they had to dig this humongous, well, they already dug this humongous hole. 
And then 2,100 dump trucks came by and poured concrete into that hole continuously for 18 hours. And um, it became a world record. Who keeps records like that? Um, well, our world does. All right. So it became a world record. It's in Guinness's Book of World Records now. And they poured over 80 million pounds of concrete into that foundation. The foundation is so important to a building. Years ago, a friend of mine, a structural engineer, he was so excited. He, he got the um, commission to build his first, or to design his first tower. And it was about 10 stories tall in Glendale. And so we were, we were in a discipleship relationship, and so he wanted to show it to me. And so we drove over to where his tower was, and I was excited, and he was excited. And we went there, and he goes, there it is. It's a hole. He goes, yeah. And, and, and we looked in the hole, and, and I could see this big white slab. And so he goes, that's the foundation. And he's very excited. And I'm thinking, it's a hole <laughs> with a big slab of cement in it. But he told me, you need to have this huge, heavy foundation. Otherwise, the building won't be able to continue to stand, and especially in a place where there's earthquakes. That you need to have a firm foundation. And so they poured all this cement into that hole, and that's a picture of them doing it for 18 hours. Because to build the tallest building in LA, in a land where there's earthquakes, you need to have a deep foundation. And that foundation needs to say, God first. God first. That's what a temple lifestyle says. It says that I'm going to put God first in everything I do. And we call Sunday singing worship. And that's a part of worship. But that is only a small part of worship. God calls us to live a life of worship. God has given us the ability to live as people who are constantly worshiping. And this is what God was teaching the people. They made it that. They made it the 900 miles, and they got to the land, they got to Jerusalem, and they dug their holes, and they began to build a foundation for the new temple. And in Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, we read these words. They're back now, and it says, When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled as one man in Jerusalem. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation. They built the altar on its foundation. And it says that they did it in spite of fear. We're going to talk about that in the next point. But in spite of all the problems, in spite of all the obstacles around them, they began to build and they were saying, God first. Why? Because upon this foundation, the first thing they did, even before there was a building over it, they built an altar. So they built a foundation, and then they built the altar. And the foundation wasn't the altar. The foundation was simply the place that the altar was going to be put so the message could be given on that altar. And that's where they would put the sacrifices. And every sacrifice says, God first. God first. And they began worshiping together out in the open. The foundation was laid. The altar was there. And sacrifices would be brought. And the people would be worshiping God. 
And then it says in Ezra chapter 3, just a few verses down in chapter, verse 10, it says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites with cymbals took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by King David of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. They began to sing. They were there out in the open. The altar was upon the foundation. They saw it. They gave, they gave their sacrifices and they began to sing. He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. Can you say that with me? And try to say it with some meaning and emotion. Imagine that you are there. Imagine you have traveled 900 miles, right? Your leaders have built the foundation of the temple. They have erected an altar. They have made the sacrifices. God is first in their life. God is first in your life. And now you say, he is good. Let's say it together. Ready? Here we go. He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. Say it again. He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. Okay, say it one more time, nice and loud, with all the emotion you can imagine if you were there with them. He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. Can you imagine? There's 50,000 of them that had returned. Can you imagine? A stadium full of people yelling that out loud. It would have shook Jerusalem. The people would know they're there. No building. Just this little foundation with a smaller altar. And these people were worshiping together. And God uses them. And God begins to build upon them a foundation, not just in the ground, but in their heart. And they begin working together. And that's the second way in which we daily build a foundation that says God first. We not only worship together, we not only worship in our lifestyle, we work together. We work with one another. We work and we build upon the foundation that God has laid for us in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, everything now in the Old Testament is a picture of what is coming in the New Testament. So whenever God talks about a foundation or an altar in the Old Testament, there is a corresponding foundation and altar in the New Testament. And so we see what this foundation is. And actually the foundation and the altar are one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, the Bible says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ. And so the foundation of which God wants us to work upon is none other than his own son, Jesus. So that the foundation is not a slab of cement in the ground for a building. It is a heart of flesh. It is a heart of spirit that seeks to desire to let Jesus grow in his and her life. Paul goes on. A few verses down in verses 16 and 17. And he says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. You are sacred and you together are that temple. 
God wants us to know that we are his temple, not the building. In the Old Testament, it was the building to point them to a house for God. In the New Testament, we are the house for God. And every desire that we have for a home is just a little indication of the huge desire that God has for a home. That God has a dream house and he's building the foundation so that everyone can know Jesus. So that as we know Jesus, we grow into the people who live in this house, live in this family, experience this community. Notice, you are not a temple all by yourself. It says, you together are that temple. No one is a temple all unto themselves. We belong to each other. And we are a temple and a family together. And we build upon that foundation together. And so even if we do build a church home for harvest, we build it together. And we build it for God. And we build it upon the foundation that God says to us, make me first in your life. Keep me first in all you do. Secondly, we build a lifestyle of a temple liver of somebody who wants to live as a temple by making God our daily priority. By making God our daily priority. And that's going to require persevering. Whenever you want to do something great for God, you can be sure that there's going to be opposition. Whenever anyone does something for the Lord, there's always going to be enemies. So we're going to need determination. We're going to need stick-to-itiveness. We're going to need to face the reality that there's going to be problems and we're going to have to reject them. We're going to have to be willing to move beyond them. We're going to have to refuse the temptation to give up. And we're going to have to work against the external and the internal distractors that are going to come our way. Because no sooner had the people yelled that their praise was to God after the building of the temple foundation and of the altar that the enemies began to arise. It says in Ezra chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, when the peoples around them, then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans. We live in a culture that is working against us. It doesn't always know it's doing it. It doesn't always do it personally, just against you and against me. It's just built into the powers that be in this world to the reality that there are sinful forces here. You ever thought about it? Like you want to do something good and something bad happens and you wonder why? It's because there's no free lunch. There's no free ticket. There's always opposition. And what do we love? What do we love when we look at people's lives and we look at stories we love the person who overcomes the obstacles. You know, I've been watching a little bit of the Olympics, and the Olympics itself has been a little bit boring to me, right? But it's the stories that I love to hear, the stories that they put in there about the athletes. There was this one snowboarder that won the gold medal, and he has a young brother who's fighting, I think, muscular dystrophy. And the story has been how this older man has worked so hard and his younger brother has cheered him on and there it was, this younger brother handicapped there at the Olympics cheering his brother on. 
And when you read that, you are just so happy. Yes, he won the gold medal, but you are so happy to see within the family how they overcame and how God works in our lives. And we, so we, we do face obstacles. In fact, it's the obstacles that makes the glory so glorious. And so the people now are facing this obstacle and they have an opportunity to do something great for God. They've built the foundation. They've built the altar. They've started their worship. But then the opposition comes. And slowly, bit by bit, person by person, family by family, they stop working on the temple. One month goes by. One year goes by. Two years go by. Four years go by. Sixteen years go by. And now nobody is working on the temple. What had happened? What had happened? Well, after 16 years, God decides it's time to go back to the people. And he sends the prophet Haggai to confront them and to tell them what happened and to say what's up. And so we read in Haggai chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, this is what the Lord Almighty says. It's been 16 years now since they had built the temple, started building it. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. God comes to them very lovingly. He is rebuking them, like a parent will rebuke and change their child by confronting them with tough love. What had happened? The people had gradually begun to live the lifestyle of Jerusalem. They began to pursue the Jerusalem dream. And they began to build their own houses. And they began to focus on their own lives. Maybe it was the criticism that started it, but that isn't what sealed the deal. They got involved in their own lives. They were more concerned about their own life than their life with God. They were more concerned about their houses than about the temple. And now I'm talking about spiritual things here because that's the same thing that can happen to us. We can be more concerned about our houses than our temple. God has called us to be the temple. God has called us to work on our lives. Their attention had shifted. They stopped working on the temple. What was so important about that wasn't just the fact that God wanted these people to have a temple to worship in, but rather that God wanted a family to love him and to worship with him. It's just like a parent whose, whose kids don't come home anymore for Christmas, or who don't come home anymore at special occasions. And they get involved in their own lives and they almost seem like they don't even care about their mom and dad anymore. And that's sad. And none of us as parents hope that happens to us. But it does happen. And we can understand the pain that it is. And that's how God would feel as we neglect spending, spending time with him. Have you ever like driven by a building and you see it go up and you go, oh, that's going to be a beautiful building. And all of a sudden it seems like you stopped working on it. You know, ever been there? And you go, oh, maybe they're, maybe they're just taking a break. Maybe it's the winter weather. Of course, around here, that wouldn't be an excuse. And it's like, well, it's not. And then pretty soon you see that there's another fence around the fence. Right? And you start looking, the wood is starting to turn sort of dark brown. And after a while, you realize it's an abandoned building. 
So what once became was once a beautiful dream and a beautiful hope, even to the community, wondering, what is this? And all of a sudden, it's an abandoned building. Now, how do you feel when you see an abandoned building? What do you think? You think, oh, those people didn't care much, or they didn't have enough money, or they didn't have the wherewithal. They didn't think about it. They didn't do it. And these people, are they're going to work. They're going to their houses. They're going to their jobs. And they're walking by the abandoned site of the temple. And as they bring their children by, what are their children thinking as they walk on by? The children are thinking, hey, I guess that's not very important to mom and dad. I guess that's not that important to us. I mean, look at our house. It's doing good. But God's temple must not be that important. That can happen to us in our temple, in our bodies. And God wants us to live for him. And so as we reject the external and the internal distractions, as we take careful thought of our ways, as we look at where we're spending our time, our talents, and our treasures, God wants us to see, are we working on the temple? And if we're not, then God says, here's the answer. You know, guilt is a motivator, but it's a really bad one, right? So guilt's a very bad motivator, and God doesn't use guilt primarily to move us into the right direction. There are times that guilt is necessary to move us into the right direction. But here we see that God doesn't use guilt. God uses love. And it's his love, and love is a wonderful motivator for returning to God. Love is the wonderful motivator for beginning our life with God. Love is the wonderful motivator of going back and saying, you know what? Not only is the temple important, it was what I really was called to do. It's what makes my life a life. It's what makes my house a temple. It's what makes my temple a place that I enjoy living in. It's what gives me the strength and the joy of life. It's what adds the zest to all the zeal for the things that I want to do. We read what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Jesus is saying, when you put God first, when you put him first, he will take care of all of your needs, of every single thing. He promises never ever to abandon you. You will never be an abandoned temple by God. And all he asks is that we keep him first and that we put him first in everything we do. And if we don't, he appeals to love once again. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says what God says to us. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. There are times in our Christian lives that we can think about, maybe you're in it right now, and I hope you are, where there is a great desire, a great zest, Oftentimes it's at the beginning of our Christian life where there's a, such a hunger and a thirst for God and a desire to know Him, and a desire to be with His people, a desire to worship, a desire to serve, a desire to grow, a desire to plant, a desire to spread the good news. And then something happens and we slowly abandon the temple work. 
But then God, right now, right now, he's calling us to walk with him, to seek him, to find him, to pray. Now, that's why this is so important on Friday. As Jerry said, there's a possible building. And we wish we could share it with you, but we're still in conversations with the owners. But this might be the place that God has given to us as a building. And it's not just going to happen. Yes, God gave it to us. Just like God gave the foundation and the altar to the people to move back to Jerusalem, to start the building. He gave them the opportunity, but they didn't latch on to it. They didn't continue in their prayers. They didn't continue in their seeking. And so I ask you and I invite you to come this Friday to Irvine Press. And we'll be there at 7.30. And we'll be there to pray and to seek and to beseech God. Is this His will? Is this the building? Hopefully by then we'll be even to tell you a little bit more by Friday. That God wants us to seek Him. He wants us to love Him. He doesn't want us to have an edifice complex. He wants us to have an edifice, if we do, that we might edify not just one another, not just ourselves, but the community that we live in, that the place that we dwell. I mean, when you have your dream house, one of the things that you secretly hope for is that other people will look at your dream house and go, that's a nice house. Or that, you know, you fix up your yard, you put some new plants and You know, you like them, but secretly you hope. I hope somebody else notices that. And maybe if your neighbor's not taking their house, care of your house, you hope that they might see the pride of ownership you have in your house, that they might have it in theirs. And that's why we have HOAs, to force us to have pride of ownership. (laughs) And God doesn't do that. God invites. God says, you have a choice. You have a choice to make your house your dream house. But you have to choose every day. You have to choose every day to do what is right. Otherwise, you're not going to get what you really want. And this is what I want you to do. I want you every day, the Lord says, to invite my presence into your temple. See, if we are the temple... God is not going to ransack that temple, nor is he going to come in and bulldoze himself and force his way in. He is always going to be ready to invade, to envelop and to fulfill that temple with joy and with love and with peace and with hope. But we have to invite his presence every day. We have to invite him to join us every day. Otherwise, we don't have the temple we want. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 6, it says, You have planted much, you have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Second time he says it. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. When we invite God's presence into our lives, it's a form of daily house cleaning. It's a form of daily housekeeping. It's a form of daily preparation for food. It's a form of saying, I want to take care of this house. You know, if you don't look at your house, it's like being a 
you know, when I was a bachelor, I didn't look at my house. I didn't care. I just throw things around. There's nobody else to look at it. When I got married, things changed a lot. When we got married to God beforehand, we were used to just taking care of our own lives, throwing our things around, doing the things we want. We lived in a bachelor, bachelorette pad, right? But when we got married to God, things were supposed to change a lot. And so God says, this is what I want you to do every day. To know my presence, the first thing you got to do, you got to take a good, hard look at yourself. I mean, how many of us, after we get up, don't look in a mirror before we go out into the world? I would say that literally every one of us looked at a mirror this morning before we got here. I would say that every one of us looked at a mirror every day before we got into the world. Many times God wants us to take a good, hard look at our lives, give careful thought to your ways. The message version says that this way. Take a good, hard look at your life. Think it over. Think it over. Is your life really becoming the dream life that God made you to have? Is your life becoming the dream life that you know that God wants you to have. He wants you to have it. He wants you to have a beautiful home, even on earth. And I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about a home, a place where there's people who love you and whom you love. This may be roommates. This may be a wife. This may be children. God wants you to have another home where you are welcome and accepted all the time, just the way you are. And that's called the church. A home where you are accepted, regardless of how you look when you left the house. A home where you are accepted the way you are, broken and all. And he wants this home to be a place. You know, one of the greatest things for a home is when you take care of your children and they invite their friends over. That they're proud of this home. Because they want to show their friends what it's like to be in a place where there's acceptance and there's love and there's food and there's fun. God wants us to have a place like that because so many people don't have a place like that. So many people don't have a home. And if we get a building, and if God gives us a home for harvest, that has to be our primary purpose to have this home. It is not for us. It cannot be. It must be to invite other people into the home. To be part of this family. To be part of God's family. We are here to build pride of ownership for God's kingdom in this world. And God wants us to do this. After we take a good, hard look at ourselves, what do we do? Well, we prim and we prime and we deck out our bodies. You know, God wants us spiritually to do the same thing. And so when we invite God's presence daily in his life, he wants us to do this by honoring God and my body. God wants us to honor him by honoring our body. He wants people to see who we are and we should open our lives to see who people we are you know, we, I, you like, I like to walk around the beach, and it's sort of fun, like Balboa Island, to walk around at night, and there's lights, and there's water, and it's very cool and stuff. 
But when you walk around, with, you know, what you notice is like most of the homes have their windows wide open. Like we in Irvine don't do that, right? You know, our, our, we don't even have windows in the front of the house sometimes. We don't want people looking into our house. They do. Why? Because, you know, they have these million-dollar mansions, and they have all these beautiful pictures, and they have all these beautiful furniture, and so they open up their windows so you can enjoy looking on the inside. They want you to see what's inside. They don't invite you in. They just want you to see it. Okay? Now, God wants us to be like that. God wants to have such great pride of ownership that we are going to open wide the windows of our lives, but the difference is we're also going to open the door. We're not just going to open the window so people can see. We're going to open the door so they can come in and receive what's there. And this is what God wants for us to be working at right now. This body. Your body. Your flesh, your blood. Your spirit, your soul. God wants you and me to be cleaning it up. To be rendering it glorious. In Haggai chapter 1 verse 8. God says to the people now, go into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. Why are we building the house? So that God may take pleasure in it and be honored. God be honored in what we do in our homes, in our bodies, in our temple. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Honor God with your body. God wants us to take care of our bodies. To walk with him, as it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, when we seek him first, we also seek his righteousness. There is a lifestyle that God wants us to be building right now, today, long before we have our own building. God wants us to have this lifestyle right now in us temples, in us as we are the living places of God. God wants us, I believe, to have a building for harvest. I do believe that with all my heart, that he wants us to have a building. But I know even more for absolute certain that he wants our bodies to be the temple that he's proud of. And we have to take care of that. For us to get excited about a physical building, we first must be excited about the spiritual building. For us to be excited about building a house for God that we would see with an address, we have to first be excited about building this house that we already have for God because we are his address. God wants to live in us. If we want to be excited about a house, we have to first build a home. It'd be ludicrous, right? If you're having marriage problems and you have all kinds of issues and you go, you know what's really going to fix our marriage? Let's go buy our dream house. That'll work, right? So let's just go buy this big, beautiful dream house. And I would say that even if you won a raffle and you got that big, beautiful dream house for free, but you took your messy marriage into it, it's not going to make it any better. It'd be silly. In the same way, for a church to move into a building and think that just moving into the building is going to make the church grow, just moving into the building is going to make it beautiful, just moving in the building is going to satisfy all of our needs, but we're not being the temple. 
we're not living the temple lifestyle, then just moving into the building isn't going to help us a wink. In fact, it's probably going to hurt us more. If we are excited about taking care of this temple and following after God and living His way and telling other people about Him, then when we have this home with the windows wide open and the doors wide open and the people go in, then they'll see what it's like to have a temple where they are received as God's own children. And this is our purpose. And this is our goal. And this is God's desire for us that we learn to live as the temple, in the temple, for God, as the one who loves us more than anything else in all the world. Heavenly Father, give us a desire, O Lord, for this temple, a home for you. Give us a passion, O Lord, for this temple where you already dwell for every believer who has given their life over to Jesus. You once said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Lord, you have promised that you will live in the life of every believer. And you have told us and you have given us a picture of this, that our bodies are like a house. Our bodies are the temple of God. And so, Father, I pray. I pray for each one of us here to realize the glory of what it means to be able to live in God's dream house by being God's dream house. I pray that we would want you more than anything else in all the world because you are real, more real than anything else we could ever buy or seek or find in this life. Lord, help us to see too that you've given us a great life for people to love, for people to give to, for a community to change. Lord, help us. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, do this for your glory. We ask in your name. Amen.